Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. Troy Walls. Good to have you with us today. I'd like to talk to you today about the cross, and I'll be starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. I want to talk to you about the offense of the cross. Paul said, if I did it with cleverness and wisdom of words, then would the cross lose its effect. He said, for the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. In other words, Paul said, like the word I am going to share with you today is foolish to you that is perishing. It is a foolish subject. It will be a foolish message. The apostle said that over 1,900 years ago. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent or those who think on future things. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Look at the world's wisdom today. Where is it? Our best brains are trying to build bigger and better bombs, more effective missiles, and engines of destruction. Frankenstein monsters, they can destroy entire civilizations. I read the other day that every civilization up to this point in time destroyed itself with upgraded technology. Man is in trouble, but don't fear. Bible believers know the book of Daniel says in the last days men will run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Our hope is not of this world or in this world. All of our faulty intellectualism, all of our faulted culture and society and civilization, the scripture says God has made it foolish. Or after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God has chosen this method to save men from destruction and judgment and hell. This method of preaching, this method of proclaiming the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You cannot come to Christ unless you hear the gospel. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jew a stumbling block, under the Gentile foolishness. But unto them which are called of Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. This cross, this preaching of Jesus Christ, the scripture says, is wiser than all the men of all the ages, wiser than all the university professors, wiser than all the PhDs and the THDs, wiser than all the intellectuals. It's foolishness to the world. But God says this foolishness is wiser than this world. We think by our foolishness and vanity we are smart. We are just smart enough to get in trouble. Don't put your faith in Google. Don't put all your eggs in the technology basket. Do not put all your eggs in the cell phone basket. Do not put all your eggs in the tablet or computer basket. But we can put all our eggs in the Bible basket. Why? Because we can trust the Lord. What he says is true. And guess what? He does not lie. The cross seems to be 
to the world to be a weakness. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, Pastor, that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty or noble men are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, think of it, the cross was a base thing. It was a thing to be despised. It was called a scandal among men. And yet God chose that method to confound the wise and to save the world. That no flesh should glory in his presence. No man should stand in heaven and say, I got there by my own ability, by my own works. We will have to stand and say when we get to heaven, I got there by the cross. We got there by the death of Christ on the cross and the fact that he was raised again from the dead. And Isaiah had said 800 years before, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And in Galatians, the apostle said, If I, brethren, if I preach works unto you, then is the effects of the cross ceased. The apostle Paul said in all of his preaching, in all of his proclaiming of the gospel, there is an offense to the cross. Paul said, I can preach anything else, and there is no offense. But when you preach the cross, there is an offense. And this expression, the offense of the cross, sounds strange to our modern ears. But you see, we have beautiful crosses on our churches. We have crosses in the lapels of our coats. We have crosses around our necks. We have crosses embossed on our Bibles. We never think of it as a scandal or an offense, and yet the Bible says it is a stumbling block. Is it, a, it is an offense, a scandal among men. It's a base and despised thing. It's an old rugged cross. It's a place to execute criminals. It's a place where the vilest died. And when I see Christ hanging on the cross, I say with Isaiah, there is no beauty that I should desire him. Paul said in his day there was an offense, and I have found in today's ministry you can preach anything else, and it's called popular. It pleases the ear. But when I come to the heart of Christianity, when I come to the cross and the blood and the resurrection, that is a stumbling block. That is a thing people do not want to hear. That is a thing that is foolish. That is a thing that is an offense. And yet it is the very thing that is the heart of the gospel. And without the cross, there is no salvation. There is no forgiveness. God said, I'll meet the human race only in one place. That is the cross. And if you've never been to the cross, there is no forgiveness and there is no salvation. Why is the cross an offense? I got to thinking about this. Why the cross is an offense? I see Christ hanging on the tree. I see him dying for me. I see the blood being shed. I see nails in his hands. I see a spike in his feet. And I see Christ dying for sin. In other words, it's an offense. Why is it an offense? First, the cross is an offense because it is the condemnation of the world. The cross says to the world, you're a sinner. The cross said to the other thief hanging on the cross, you're a sinner. You need to repent, and he did. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned and said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. 
Christ forgave him right there. But first the cross condemned his sins and made him confess and acknowledge that he was a sinner. For the centurion that had helped nail him there, the cross said to the centurion, You're a sinner. And the centurion had to exclaim, Surely this must be the Son of God. The cross said to Herod, You're an immoral man. You're living in adultery. And the cross speaks to you about your sins today, your sins of immorality. There is no sin in the Bible that he condemned more than immorality. It is America's great sin today. You know, the same one that condemned Sodom and Gomorrah? It is the same sin that caused fire and brimstone to rain down on the two cities of the plain. It is a sin that God hates. And God said, Whosoever looks at a person of the opposite sex to lust hath committed adultery in his heart already. And the cross said to Herod, You're living in immorality already, and you're going to go to hell for that unless you repent of sin. And Herod did not like that. And Herod rebelled, and he cringed. Under the impact of the cross, which became a conscience to Herod, and stooped to Herod. And today, there are people still cringing because they know that is their sin. Look at another man, Caiaphas. Proud, crafty, cold, wise old man in his pride. And the cross said to Caiaphas, You're a sinner, Caiaphas. You're a religious leader, but you're a sinner. Jesus had said to Nicodemus, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And I tell this to all that will hear. I don't care if you're a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, or an elder, or a church leader. Unless there has been a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, it means absolutely nothing. You know, we have a lot of religiosity in this country. We have a great deal of religion in America. We have a great deal of worship in America, but... Uh, that is not true worship. The Pharisees fasted twice a week. They paid tithes. They were orthodox. They were fundamental. They believed the scriptures from cover to cover, and yet Jesus, in his most scathing language, denounced them and indicated they, that they were not saved and indicated they would uh, come to him in the last day, and he would say, Depart from me, ye cursed. I never knew you. Caiaphas was a religious leader, and yet he helped crucify Jesus' pride. And there is no pride in all the world as terrible as a religious pride, proud of our religion, proud of the things we do, external religion. We, down inside, we are filled with pride and jealousy and envy, backbiting, gossiping, and we do not have love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that ye love one another. Do you love? By their fruits ye shall know them. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And if I see a person who is not loving his brother in Christ, I have a right to doubt whether that man had been to the cross. No matter who he is or how much he says he believes, because the Bible says even the devils believe. Oh, yes, the devils are orthodox. They believe and tremble, but guess what? They're not saved. Yes, they want you to follow the traditional path, and many will be on that road to destruction. I heard the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard in my life. A black woman said, I'm, I'm going to marry myself. She's holding a wedding to marry herself. That is not what my Bible teaches. My Bible teaches, deny thyself and pick up thy cross. 
we have some of the most ridiculous, self-centered thinking that I have ever seen. People need to drop self and study the scripture. Look at Pilate. The cross said to Pilate, You're a coward, filled with your fear and cowardness. Pilate, you're a sinner, and Pilate did not like that. And he cringed and tried to run from the Savior. Look at Judas. The cross looked at Judas and said, You're covetous, and covetous is idolatry. Judas was with Jesus for three years. He had heard all the sermons that Jesus had preached. In fact, Judas had been baptized. Judas traveled with Jesus for three years and had been one of his intimate companions. And yet, Judas was lost and was covetous all the time. Judas was lost in the end because he had never realized the personal, intimate presence of Christ. And he had never understood nor been to the cross by faith and had an encounter with Christ that counts. And it is possible to be in an organization that Christ founded. It's possible to be in all the religious organizations. And if Judas, who spent three years traveling with Jesus, was lost, that should cause all of us to search our hearts to see how we stand. The soldiers that gambled for his garments, the cross to all of these people, says, you're a sinner. And when Paul preached the cross before Governor Felix, Felix said, when I have a more convenient season, I will call for you. Felix tried to get away. Why? Festus said to Paul when he preached the cross to him. He said, you're mad, Paul. Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. And the cross has come down through the centuries, passing its unfaltering judgment upon the vanities, the pride, the hate, the greed, self-indulgence, and pleasures, and the lust of men. The cross says to us all, you're a sinner. It becomes the conscience of the world. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the first time I come to the foot of the cross, I have to say I'm a sinner. But the scripture says men love darkness because their deeds are evil. They don't want the light of the cross. And so the cross becomes a stumbling block. It becomes foolish when you realize you must give up your sins. When you realize you must acknowledge you're a sinner. You say no, no, no. And you cringe back into your darkness. And the light of the cross begins to penetrate into yourself, into your pride, into your idolatry, into your bigotry, into your intolerance, into all the sin of your life. The cross sends a beam of light. And you cringe back into your darkness and say, no, no, no. Don't expose me. And the cross goes down into the dark recesses of your heart. Wherever your wife or husband cannot go, even your family cannot go, even your best friend cannot go, down deep inside of you and sees the sins and exposes them to the light. And God says, every secret thing shall be brought out. And the cross says, you're a sinner in need of repentance. There is no need of repenting unless you plan on forsaking or giving up that sin. Go a different direction. And so the cross becomes a stumbling block. It becomes an offense to all of us sinners because we don't like to be told we're sinners. And we don't like to acknowledge that we have broken God's law. You see, we're all proud. We don't like to come to an old rugged cross where blood is being shed and say, Oh God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Why? Because we have 
to come in humility. A lot of people don't want to do that. They don't want to humble themselves. But you know what? It would do us all good to practice being more humble. Jesus could have healed the man with a withered arm by saying, Be healed. But he did not do that. He said, Stretch it forth. In other words, he wanted the man to do something. And guess what? The man obeyed. He stretched it forth. And he was healed. Did you get that? Sometimes God wants us to obey to get our prayers answered. The cross is an offense because blood was applied there. You hear about slaughterhouse religion, religion of blood, and some people don't like it. It becomes an offense. But the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And the Bible says eight things about the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of propitiation. I want to read you a verse out of Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, or mercy seat, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. The mercy seat is the meeting place where he forgives us of our sin. It is the blood of redemption. It is the blood of remission. It is the blood of reconciliation. We are made nigh by the blood of Christ. It is the blood of justification, just as if I have never sinned. It is the blood of peace. It is the blood of entrance. We enter into the holiness by the blood of Christ, and we don't say, I thank God I'm not like other men are. I shall plead only one thing, that one day I went to the cross and gave my life to Jesus and had my sins cleansed, not by my righteousness, but by his. It is the blood that cleanses. The word blood means the life of Christ. We gain eternal life through the blood. So in closing here, I want to ask you one question. Are you 100% sure that you're going to go to heaven? If you're 35%, 50%, 75%, or even 99% sure that you're going to heaven, guess what? I've got some bad news. You won't get there. You have to be 100% sure that you're going to heaven. You know, the Bible actually says in 1 John uh, 5 verse 13, it says that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. But the very first thing you got to do is admit that you're a sinner. And say, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Repent of your sins. That means give it up. You know, you can repent a thousand times. It won't do a bit of good unless you actually forsake that sin or give it up. Go a new direction. And God will. He'll do exactly what he said he would if you ask. The Bible says, ask not, receive not. You know, if you ask for forgiveness of your sin, he'll forgive you. And you've got eternal life in heaven forever and ever. I hope you enjoyed this and we'll catch you on the next one. Dr. Troy Wall signing off.